0: You know, one of the biggest real life challenges I see in helping folks in their retire sooner journey is that even if we get to the money side of the equation, we solve for that and we do a cash flow analysis and we figure out the right investment strategy that somebody's comfortable with. And we are dividend investors and income investors and we solve for inflation and the things that come try to eat our money and our purchasing power. And we've solved the financial side of the equation the next big piece of figuring out a next phase is what are we going to be doing in retirement? And it sounds easy. It sounds as though, well, financially I can now do what I want to do. I can go to coffee shops if that's what I want to do for two or three hours in the morning. I can do long lunches. I can play golf. I can play tennis. I can do all the core pursuits that I want to do. It still very often falls short of what we expected it to be. And part of that, what we discover here in today's interview with George Jurgen is that it's not easy to keep our identity intact. It's not easy to keep our relevance to the world. Even if we're full of core pursuits, we may have lost our identity and that wears on us over time. George, who's the author of Dare to Discover Your Purpose, dedicates his life now to helping people find their purpose and their identity. And it's beyond just having core pursuits. And that is what I think is so helpful about today's interview. I almost want to put everyone I know that's retired or semi-retired through his course because he is pulling out in us a brand new beginning, not just another phase, but a totally new beginning that takes imagination, It takes curiosity. It takes us facing our fears, what we're afraid of to drop all of those barriers and figure out not just the next phase. Hey, what are we going to be doing? But fully, fully a new chapter, a full new beginning, which can take away the big anxieties that haunt us in retirement. Even if we have plenty of money, 50% of retirees reportedly, are just constantly worried about their health. 35% of retirees say their biggest issue within retirement is they still haven't found another real purpose. And as you can imagine, it's not an easy fix. It's not just a light switch. Oh, I've got a second act career. I have a new purpose. It takes some work. It takes some digging in. And after being told he was about to die, being diagnosed with what was a life-threatening medical condition, and his doctors told him he had no longer than six months to live, shook George to the core to go into what he thought was his limited period of time when he was then given more time and given him his life back, which he'll talk about. His retirement years fell dreadfully short. Like it does so many people that I've talked to and interviewed over the years. He has a fix for that. It's not a, overnight or a quick fix. It's more of a metamorphosis, but it took him almost a decade to figure it out. He tries to help people through this over the course of a couple of weeks, but it takes a lot of digging in and we're going to learn about that and how to explore what he calls the galaxy that is completely within us undiscovered. So we have a completely new fascinating beginning when it's time to stop working at our primary job. I was locked in this entire conversation. One of our longer interviews we've ever done here on the Retire Sooner podcast, but I really think it does so much to help you dig in and make sure the next phase, once you get the money portion solved, is the best phase yet. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money, and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. George Jurgen, I'm glad we found you and then we've hunted you down to try to get you to come on to Retire Sooner podcast. And when did Dare to Discover come out?
1: The program itself came out just before the pandemic hit. Good timing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I finished all the recording of the eight modules um, in end of February, early March, 2020.
0: Literally right as the world was shutting down.
1: Yeah. And in a sense... um, in many ways, I think if it wasn't for the pandemic, it might have taken me another five years to get to where I am here. The pandemic was a blessing in disguise. It mm. fast-forwarded everything. I mean, you know, l- let's not paint it as a all-rosy picture. Pandemic is a pandemic. It's not pleasant. We all actually hated it. Yeah. Um I was working, so I cut out all the white noise. I was focused on what I was doing, and... I think that I wouldn't have been as focused without the pandemic. I also would have been, my attention would have been scattered. The pandemic kind of helped me to focus on pushing my material forward.
0: Well, let's start because again, the fascinating, just the very beginning of your story and why, and and I think a big catalyst for you doing Dare to Discover Your Purpose is that you were, you have this kind of remarkable catalyst story where you were diagnosed with something and told you had six months to live. And then that turned out not to necessarily be true. So let's just start there because that is, that's a crazy beginning.
1: Yeah. But it was that, that was the catalyst. That's what kicked off, um, my change of mind, my change of perspective on life. Uh, I like everybody else, um, was just chasing the buck. That's what we do. That's what we're trained to do. Um, and we, we consider that thinking, You know, and um, the better your strategy uh, in in making money and turning things over, the smarter you are, the more intelligent you are. And in January 2007, I had three events, unrelated events, come together and form a perfect storm in my life. The first one was uh, we were moving home, downsizing. The second one is we got a phone call um, from my brother-in-law to say that my wife's father had a stroke and we needed to get to see him. And we went to see him and within a week he passed away. I had an appointment for a colonoscopy. um, And so I went to the health center to to have the colonoscopy uh, to discover that with the MRI that they were doing, they discovered a bone tumor sitting on my pelvis on the right side, and it was the size of a large eggplant, an aubergine. <laughs> I mean, it was huge. Had you had symptoms. Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> I had, um, I was having a lot of back pains, and you know, I, I, I was going to the gym three times a week. I was going to physio. I was doing everything. And I even went to a specialist to check the back problem. And because I'm with an equivalent of a, a I think in the US you call it HMOs. Um, it's sure, one of these, yeah. yeah. It's one of these insurance back things. So they've got parameters and they can't do this and they can't do that, but they can do this. So on my second visit, I told the uh, the, the um, specialist, I said, look, the pain is above not below. You guys are taking MRIs below. And I go, look, I said, I'll pay for it. Can you just take it above? The guy goes, I really wish I could, but I can't because I'm precluded from. So anyway, um, they finally found it in error by mistake when they were doing a colonoscopy. Wow! And the nurse nurse comes up to me and goes, "Um, did you come in for your pelvis? I go, no. I thought we must have the wrong patient. Um, And then it dawned on me, whoa, what's wrong with my pelvis? (laughs) Um, So yeah, and then uh, literally the next day, um, I'm seeing an oncologist. And um, so I go in with my wife and we see the oncologist and the guy says that uh, it looks like you have a bone tumor sitting on your pelvis. And in 98% of cases, uh, bone tumors are secondary cancer, which means it's spread across your body, and which means inf- invariably that there's nothing we can do, and that you're looking at six to eight months tops.
0: Holy! So just you—you you went from normal life to extraordinary fear all within just a day. Just
1: yeah, it's 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 um, it is like it's be- it's like being hit by a truck. And you're just out of it. You're kind of, I was in this space of having an out-of-body experience. I'm looking at this guy, he's dying. That can't be me. (laughs) That's him.
0: That's not me. And you didn't, at the time, you didn't even feel bad. all that bad at the time.
1: No, it was just the back pain that was constantly annoying me, but not all the time. It came and went. And occasionally I'd have a sciatica pain, but that's the only indication I had. Anyway, long story short, three weeks of tests, and I'm talking about weird tests. I'm not going to go into the details because uh, I don't think we have time for that. But essentially, for three weeks, I'd get up every morning. I'm looking at the sunrise and going, how many of those am I going to see? So I had thoughts like that. And But what was surprising to me, or actually shocking to me, was that I wasn't afraid of death. And I see it's bizarre because, you know, prior to this, if you'd asked me, you know, would you be afraid of death? And I'd go, yeah. (laughs) Truth be told, of course I am. I'd be afraid of death. But there was a calmness around me. The only thing that agitated me was that I I have two daughters and they were teenagers at that time. And I wasn't going to be around for them. That was killing me. Mm. That was the only thing that was really... um, Causing me to well up from time to time. Uh, the fact that I wasn't going to be around, I wasn't really thinking about that. It wasn't. It wasn't top of mind. Um, I was wondering, you know, what things I wanted to do in the next six months. <laughs> you know, to to make sure that you know my cup runneth over. You know, I wanted to make sure that yeah.
0: So you didn't get hit with this overwhelming anxiety around death necessarily. You were more worried that you're leaving behind teenagers as a parent. And were you also though, was it though that thinking, okay, it's so definitive. I really only have six months. What can I do in these next six months without, without necessarily a whole lot of anxiety around what they had told you that you're, you only have six months left to live.
1: When I'm looking back on it, I think what was a saving um, to answer your question, I think what was a saving feature for
0: me was that we were busy packing, moving homes. And this is, by the way, in the UK. This is not when you're in the United States. This is in the UK. This is in London. This is all happening in London. All in London. Yeah. So I'm
1: I'm so busy packing. It's almost like it was a weird sensation because I had almost. I was almost numb. I'm going through a process of packing, moving, you know, what's going to storage, what's going to our new place. And I'm thinking, you know, what is all this about? And I realised the futility of all this stuff, you know, because I'm leaving, mate. I'm not around, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm kind of almost doing it for my wife, as it were, um, helping out. But I, I, I hadn't quite processed the magnitude of what was coming.
0: So then they go into these tests. So you're busy right, packing three weeks of tests right. and they keep, they're going back and forth to see yeah. how much this is spread, et cetera.
1: Yeah. They did all kinds of tests uh, to find out if there was uh, any spread of cancer. So they, they did all these tests. And three weeks later, we go and see the oncologist and he says, um, I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is that um your bone tumor is benign, but aggressive. Benign means that you're not gonna die. Well. Aggressive means that it's we gotta we gotta take it out, which means an operation. And it looks like it could mean you need a hip replacement, etc. etc.
0: Serious operation.
1: Yeah. What a roller coaster. It, well, the thing is, is I punched the air because like my death sentence has been commuted to six months. Right. Right. So I, I was super happy, but um, I was thinking to myself that, you know, even with this six month thing, it's not fun. But I thought. But, myself, hold on.
0: You did, but after they realized it was a benign, you you no longer thought you were going to die.
1: Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, the like guy said, if it's benign, it's just we just need to operate and take it out. Got it. Uh, it was, it's the fact that, when well, actually he said to me, you're, you're lucky because you belong to the 2% club.
0: So 98% of the time it would be, and yeah. this you, you fell into the 2%. Exactly.
1: But I you also went through
0: lucky. almost an, an entire month of just saying, this is it, so I've got yeah. six months left to live.
1: Yeah, but on reflection, it was a blessing in disguise because it woke me up. It woke me up to really live a life that I should have been leading instead of the kind of fake life that I've been
0: living until then. George, let me ask you this. The, I think of how you describe, I think what you said in the beginning today is that you were chasing the buck. We don't necessarily use that phrase here in the United States all that much, but we certainly live that. It's very normal in America to be 100% about work. It's very, very normal to be all work and we live for our work, and we, we actually look at Europe and we say that, to some extent, that the philosophy in Europe is is the opposite of that, where it's live to work here in the United States, and it's work to live in in European cultures, if you will. But you're saying in the UK, similar to the US, where it was about career, sa- making money, saving money, is that, and what was your career, by the way? What were you boiling okay. away at?
1: So which one do you want me to answer first? All of the <laughs> above. All the above. Okay.
0: Just quickly
1: going back. um, I lived in the States for eight years and um, I was brought up with a strong work ethic. Um, It's perhaps not a very uh, British thing, but to be fair, there's a lot of Brits who work very hard. Um, But the Brits don't have the same work ethic as the uh, Americans or North Americans. But that said... Um, I think in North America, when people are working at jobs they love, it's not really work. It's hard work when you're working at a job because you need the money and you're working at the job because of the money. And that's where it's very painful. And I think it's also very self-destructive if you're working in a job because of the money.
0: Which, by the way, George, is extraordinarily prominent here. Absolutely. It is. It, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it's 98%, but it is 80, 80, 90% of people would rather not be doing the job that they're doing.
1: Well, I think that's the sad thing about it. And, and, but, and I don't blame them because I would say that kind of in a good part of my life, I was doing that myself. Yeah. So, you know, by, by the
0: way, what industry?
1: Okay, I'm a maverick. I have worked in very different industries. I've worked in import-export. I've worked in marketing. I've worked in um, uh, furniture design and selling to design centers across the US. I've worked in commercial real estate for 35 years, marketing for 35 years overall. And um, that's kind of been my industry. And, And also, I've been involved in funding and litigation Uh, for 15 years. And I've also been an author of uh, 11 books. So I've done, I've lived multiple lives. And I suspect that's probably one of the reasons why I wasn't as disturbed about dying as I might have been. Because if you're living life to the max, um, if you're living several lives in one lifetime, then there's kind of less issue about, Regrets? I haven't, I haven't regrets. Or have I haven't lived my life. Yeah. But that said, now I'm really living the life that I desire and want to live.
0: Okay, so at fifty two, you had this whipsaw, emotional life whipsaw. And what did year fifty three look like then for you? So, did that force you into some sort of retirement? Was it a catalyst for you to rethink the? the plate spinning career that you had, which by the way, we understand this very well here in the United States. And I, and I do where it's not uncommon to have a couple jobs, a couple very real jobs, not side gigs, but full-time job. Number one, full-time job. Number two, sometimes full-time job. Number three. So we end up working just all the time and it's not totally uncommon. It sounds exactly like what you were doing. So, Was there a big downshift or was it a massive change in what you were going to do with your time?
1: Okay, that's a really, really good question. Um, I took the slow lane. Um, I decided that, okay, time is the most important commodity I have now, which I wasn't aware of. Because until then, I thought I was immortal. I mean, I know it sounds stupid, but I think the way we live our lives, we literally function as though we are immortal. And that's the danger because we're not. And so it's, we're living a delusion. So at 53, I decided the best thing to do is I retire because that's what we've been programmed to do, right? Work stops, you retire. And I didn't even know what I was doing in retirement. I wasn't fully retired, I was semi-retired. And believe me, that sucked. So I thought full retirement, oh my God. I Hold do on, just not. To explain,
0: so year 52, You were semi-retired and then you went to fully by 53.
1: No, no, no. I I did not fully retire ever. I I, I was semi-retired for 10 years. So what I was doing was instead of having one thing that I was focused on doing, I was only doing what needed to be done and filling time, doing things that I wanted to do. Like what? Playing golf, traveling. I'm um, going for long breakfasts long lunches and sometimes long dinners
0: <laughs> doesn't I, sound uh, doesn't sound awful by the way george it, but no no the first 6 months or yeah it's like
1: this is the life and then boredom sets in because you're filling time yeah you're not passionate you're not invested in something with passion. And I got to tell you, passion is beautiful. Filling time, which you think is kind of a dream world situation, an ideal situation is a nightmare.
0: Okay. You're catching me fresh off of having coffee in a coffee shop for the first time in probably seven years. I was in Tampa the other yesterday And we had a meeting set up in a coffee shop at 10 a.m. So there was no real rush, right? 10 a.m. Easy time. And I looked around and I thought, wow, this is cool. Like I I get why people you've got, it was the perfect coffee shop scenario in a cool little area of Tampa. It wasn't a chain. It was its own little coffee shop with some character. And multiple people were with their headphones and their laptops and they're clearly working. Then you've got it. Me, I had a four person meeting and we had an hour and a half coffee chat. I had an almond latte. It was wonderful. And I thought, no wonder people love these coffee shops so much. I totally forgot what it's like. Like, I get it. So you did that for about a year and it was cool in the beginning. So you had a, what was that feeling like? Was it a, were you relaxed? Were you excited that you get to tell me about the feeling of that? At least the beginning that was fun.
1: The feeling is that I'm king of my castle. I've reached the pinnacle. This is what people are slaving away to reach, to be able to do, to be able to do what I'm doing. It's a great feeling. I mean, really, you know, and enjoying that cup of coffee, you know, I like my cappuccinos. I'm still an old school. I like my cappuccinos with no chocolate. on. And you know. And think to myself, damn it, I'll have some pastry as well. Come on, bring it in, bring it in, I want it. You know, it's like, this is it. You've reached the pinnacle um, because you're now king of time. You're free of all the shackles that you had before.
0: Full disclosure, I am affiliated with Capital Investment Advisors, which is a full service and a fee-only financial planning and investment management firm in Atlanta and Denver and Tampa and Phoenix or wherever you are. And if you'd like to take your retirement planning or retire sooner journey to the next level, Capital Investment Advisors would love to help. You can find our team and schedule a time to chat right at yourwealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R wealth.com you may be the first person to describe it as this multi-phase where you get this bliss. So we're talking right now, you're, you're in the six to, maybe it's the honeymoon, right? So it's the, it's the time freedom honeymoon, right? It's exactly what it is. Where were you financially and did you, what was your level of financial confidence at age 53 in this honeymoon phase? Were you thinking I've got way more, plenty of money saved, no worries, or, I've got kind of just enough if I do this right. What was your thought around your financial situation?
1: At that time, I had zero financial worries. I had no worries at all. Um, You know, I'd I'd kind of reached a place where probably if I was careful, I wouldn't have to work another day.
0: Okay, so you were in a strong position. You weren't in a position where you had $100 million in generational wealth, zero worry. It was, was, you were conscious of, hey, I I can't overspend. I can do a pastry, but I can't also do a Maserati.
1: No, I mean, no, no. Listen, truth be told, that is how I felt. But the reality, of course, is that what I didn't know then, which I know now, is that 96% of the U.S. population will outlive their savings. That is based on Charles Schwab saying that retirees need about $2 million savings, total savings, um, to retire reasonably comfortably. You know, this is pre-Trump, pre-pandemic, pre-Ukraine. Factor all the rest in, I reckon even $2 million is not going to cut it. So then you look at how many people in the United States have assets worth $2 million. Right? It's like two percent. So to be conservative, I add another two percent, and I work out, take four percent away from 100, 96 percent of the population. Let's be even more conservative. 90 percent. Nine out of 10 retirees will outlive their savings. So longevity has destroyed the pension equation. But the money is a side issue here. It's not even the number one issue. The two main issues are, right, I mean, I think I'm jumping the gun here, but I did a a survey of 21,000 people, aged 55 to 75.
0: 55 to 75, 21,000 people.
1: 21,000 people in North America, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, the English-speaking world. And I asked them nine questions. And one of the pivotal questions was, what is your single biggest challenge in retirement? Now, in parenthesis, this was done right in the middle of the pandemic, right? I'm just putting it out there because the answers are going gonna to show you that. Mm-hmm. 50% said health issues is their single biggest challenge. Yes, that took me aback. Whoa, 50%. 50%. So people are worrying about their health, right? The pandemic yeah. didn't help obviously, so it might've even contributed to how high that is. The second one was 35% outliving their savings. 15% aimlessness, lack of purpose. Now that's the question number five. Two questions later, question number seven, I asked them, I I tweaked the question. If you were given a magic wand what single challenge would you address? 50% said health again. So that doesn't change. But what changes is you give people agency, 35 or 36% said wanting a new purpose. Whoa. Yeah. The finance and the purpose flipped over, which was a fascinating thing. But after I'd done this study, which took a year,
0: so hold on, hold on. So it makes sense. So health stayed the same, but instead of worrying about outliving their money, 35% now, 35% if they had a magic wand would figure out a new purpose. And Correct. then and then the latter part would was the rest of it a money concern?
1: Uh, yeah, the 15%, 15% was money, yeah. Okay. So it's interesting when you give people agency, you know, money is not the most important factor. But money's not the most important factor because after I did the study, you know how I was telling this to an engineer, um, you know how engineers tick boxes, you know, they, they check everything, they tick boxes and all the boxes are ticked, but you have this nagging feeling that something is wrong. Something isn't right here. And that's the feeling I had when I finished the survey. And I realized that when I came across uh, a quote from Henry Ford, who said, If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said, faster horses. Isn't that brilliant?
0: Yeah, that is brilliant.
1: And here I am asking people, what is their single biggest challenge in retirement? And they're telling me what they think. And they're not wrong. They're absolutely right. That's what they think. That's what they believe. But here's the point. They don't know what they don't know. And that's where I then had to backtrack and ask myself, what is the real problem here? Now, we're not talking about the symptoms. You know, what is the real issue, the underlying issue here? And the underlying issue, it came to me by process of elimination, is that just like, and I always come back to the Russia Ukraine war for some unknown reason. The first casualty in war is the truth. Why? Because propaganda kicks in, Sure. right? That's just the nature of war. The first casualty in retirement, which nobody recognizes because it's kind of hidden, is loss of identity. Who am I now? And that loss of identity is like a virus It's like a termite in a house. It eats away at the staircase and you don't know, you go up and down that staircase every day, nothing's wrong. And then suddenly boom, it caves in.
0: So you're doing this survey. What age were you at this, doing all this work? Oh, um, really good question.
1: We've been going backwards and forwards. Um, I was was, uh, semi-retired for 10 years. So I picked this up um, 10 years into semi-retirement and I was getting increasingly um, weary, stressed out. Um, I was losing my self-confidence. Um, I'd book you know, lunch or dinners with people and they, have, they cancel on me because they, they're busy doing something else. And I go,
0: oh my God, I'm not a priority anymore. Mm. So yeah, so this is a new topic for us because you're, you're talking about not just, a, I guess it's not just purpose here. Identity is, is a deeper fundamental human feeling than purpose, isn't it? Or, or am I? Is,
1: no, you, or uh, no, no, no. I mean, you actually, I'm glad you're making this uh, point because what it is, is that for me, I've worked backwards, but just process of elimination, you know, you go for the obvious things. And then suddenly you realize, well, this is not it, which was the survey. Then I end up, you know, because purpose was
0: an important factor here.
1: And then I realize it's about identity and purpose, and they're interlinked.
0: They're interlinked. That they're that does make sense. Okay. And, but, and but, but hold on, is, just to describe to our audience, the, the right. issue you're seeing here is that you're starting to lose, particularly for such a work-based culture, right? Whether it's UK or it's it's here and and is that even though I can be busy and I can have plenty to do, my value in the world is no longer what it used to be. And that is psychologically really difficult for a lot of people, is that what you're saying?
1: Absolutely, and the higher you up in the totem pole, the worse it is for you. Yeah. If you're a CEO
0: Mm.
1: and the next day you're back at home, (laughs) that's harsh. And um, for those of us who are not so high up the totem pole, there's a relief that there's karma in life. You know, I'm not doing so badly. But <laughs> but but the thing is, if I can just take a step back, let's take a helicopter view. Yep. We talked about money. We're going to outlive our savings, right? What's the next thing that goes wrong? I want to focus on this, on identity first. Um, the identity issue is that Um, We we go through a transformation, and we've lost this idea that, you know, we go from adolescence, we transition into adulthood. We are prepared for this new uh, immersion into adulthood. We go to college, we do, you know, we do all the stuff, and we, we know when we move into adulthood that we need to let go of our adolescence, right? It's not easy, but we do it.
0: Yeah. I guess we're supposed to do that. Exactly.
1: And most of us are now following, doing work that we don't enjoy, but because it puts bread on the table, we're on it. (laughs) And we spend most of our life doing work we don't particularly like, but it puts money on the table. We get good at it. We build an ego and identity around it. Okay. And then we get to the stage where you retire or you get to a place where I am. You you confront death and you have to change how you think, because this is a really hard, difficult place to be. Think of the um, caterpillar cocoon butterfly effect, right? The caterpillar goes into the chrysalis and it breaks down into caterpillar juice. Not an easy job. This is painful. This is difficult to be reconstituted into fractals to become a butterfly. So, When you go into retirement, recognize this. There's an awful lot of difficulties and challenges, but the best is yet to come. You have to believe that. If
0: you believe it, you can make it. If you don't believe it, you're right as well. And it's always then, George, it is always this transition. It's always this transition. There's no escaping this. Or Does your work help us get through that Metamorphosis in a more informed way, and and what is that? Is that
1: that's um, again really really good question. We move across, but just before I answer that, can I just finish off the um, yes the thread? So identity and purpose they they are interlinked because they're two sides of the same coin. Um, identity is in 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 effect. Who you desire to be, who you are, who you really are inside all the facades and the uh, personas that you've created uh, in the world. In other words, we're not who we think we are. We're not who we project to other people. The, The persona that we project to the outside world is one that has been carefully and craftily chiseled. We've worked hard at chiseling who we are to present this wonderful image, right? Of, sure. And again, it's an image. It's not real. Because the real person behind that is vulnerable, right? Is uh, a warm human being with feelings. Right. We do not display that. Because if we do that in the outside world, we've been taught, and it's our fear, we'll be crushed. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Retirement is the perfect place to take down that mask to become who you really are, what you really feel. Right. And this isn't an instantaneous process and I'm sure there are geniuses out there for whom it is, but for me, it was
0: a long, hard road. Uh, Yours was, so really you had a whole 10 years of, thinking you were in the right spot, but really it impacted you mentally. It was almost a decline for you over that 10-year period.
1: Absolutely. I have more energy today than I had 10 years ago. So that's the first thing. But to come back to the question you asked, from my personal experience, um, and um, I then devised the DARE program, which in itself, right, did not suddenly come as a download from heaven. Um, I A download from heaven, I, I worked it out, you know, I mean, I chiseled at this, I worked at it and it didn't come out right. The first time, um, it had to be played around with, and ultimately it was this wonderful woman that came out and said, George, I've got just the right word for you. It's there. And I go, what? she said, she said yes, because the first part is discover what retirement is and what it's not, which is what I was saying but not in those words. The second letter, A, assimilate, is about assimilating new information about our minds, particularly our subconscious mind, which is 99% of our mind, but none of us are ever taught how to use it, right? Because we've all been programmed to work in a certain way to deliver certain goods.
0: And chisel our image.
1: Exactly. And not to be who we are, so we can take orders and do it. R is for rewiring our mindset. And E is for expanding our horizons. Now, there's a lot of material here, which I can't go into. But the word dare in itself is also really important because it's another word for courage. And you need courage to unretire right? Anybody who unretires, I salute them because they're taking a risk. They're taking a risk from being in the safe place, which by the way, of course, we know is not a safe place to be because you're a plankton and you're going to be eaten. It's over. (laughs) You will outlive your savings. You're going to actually outlive your savings and you're going to run out of money at the worst possible time. Most people,
0: most people,
1: most people. Yeah. And even those who have enough money to survive retirement, their cognitive abilities are gonna disintegrate and they're gonna go downhill because they haven't created what I call a new beginning.
0: They're really kind of starting at the end as opposed to restarting. What you're saying is that very normally, retirement is the beginning of the end. And what you're saying is it needs to be a brand new beginning not the beginning of the end.
1: Correct. And, and the reason for that is that the word retirement itself, just look at the word. If you sort of g- drill down, retirement is a withdrawal from active life. Right. The concept itself is flawed because if you look at nature, nothing retires. In nature, you're either growing or dying. Those are the two binary choices. That's right. And if you go, if you choose retirement by default, you're choosing death. And death can come in all forms, particularly the cognitive. Once this starts to go, because you're not engaged socially or mentally, you've already signed your own death warrant. Whereas if you choose a new beginning, you're choosing to have a beginner's mind. And to start again,
0: I want to get to choose a new beginning. But if we go back to where we fall, and we're sixty-two or sixty-five, and we've stopped working, right? Clearly, you found that health is a perpetual concern, and it probably only grows. And of course, we're already talking about identity. But then, regrets—is that part of that difficult process to get through? That you miss work, that you maybe just miss social connectedness, but let's, let's talk through regret, health and identity for a minute.
1: Okay. Um, Just thinking about, uh, you know, you you retire, right? The mindset you're in is that I've done everything. I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've reached the top of the, top of the game. I've got all my certificates up on the wall. I've got all my books. And now I'm an elder statesman. People come to me. Guess what? Nobody's coming to you. (laughs) Nobody wants to know you anymore. You're a has-been because you've chosen to retire. And you're surprised that nobody's going to knock on your door? Trust me, it's a very lonely place. And you don't want to disengage from people. Now, here's the caveat. I was studying um, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work. She's the Swiss American psychologist who um, interviewed hundreds of people on their deathbeds. And what she discovered is that a great majority of them had regrets. In fact, more than that, they were actually angry. They were angry and resentful because they had not lived their lives. They had, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that. that they had lived the lives that other people had expected of them. Mm -hmm. And invariably, it's your deceased parents whose voices are still churning in your head. So you're doing what you were told to do. And if that doesn't work, your spouse helped you to think that way. (laughs) And so, for some of us, including my good self, right, even your kids end up telling you what to do. So it's like, hello, who's looking after me? I'm not standing up for myself. I'm supporting other people. Yes, love is really important. And listen, I'm a family guy. I, I, I love my family to death. Well, close. But you know what I mean? The point I'm making is, is that what we don't realize is we betray ourselves for the people we love. And the danger here is, is this, that on your deathbed, you'll be kicking yourself. Because guess what? The truth of the matter is this. We've all heard the adage, love your neighbor as yourself. It's an equation. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's my question
0: to you. If you don't love yourself, how can you love your neighbor? And therein lies the problem. If we go back to this this thought of regret, is it that, so we're, we're listening to what our parents told us to do, what our spouse tells us to do, what we think we're supposed to do, and we regret that we didn't take chances, or is it that we regret that we didn't live the last 20 and 30 years doing what we wanted to do because we were stuck in a retirement quagmire and just were slowly sinking? Is that so much of the regret? The regret
1: is that we succumbed to our fears. Fears of lack of money, fears of rocking the boat, fears of my spouse will leave me if I do what I want, fears that I'm gonna upset my kids. And it's about putting other, people, other people's needs before ours. And ultimately, here's the question. If you take that chance, if you take that risk, to be who you are meant to be, what kind of message do you think that will send to your kids and grandkids? See, grandpa took a chance at the age of 68 and started a new business. He took a chance and he actually left his spouse and went to Arkansas to start some farm. I don't know.
0: Wait, George, um, you didn't move to Arkansas and leave your wife, did you?
1: Not yet. <laughs> it, we haven't got there yet. But my, my point is, is that nothing is off the table.
0: But we do. We, so culturally we do, whether it's in the United States or it's in in the UK, you're right. The prevailing thought is that anything new and big is totally off the table and you're challenging that. So that is.
1: Yeah. What I'm saying is, is that, okay, here's the point. Only in the face of death. And this is one of the reasons why in our society, we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to face death and everything is um, anesthetized around death, right? Funeral homes, close casket, where nobody wants to see death, nobody wants to meet death. Yeah. And we, we're almost um, in denial. And we don't realize that if we don't keep, this is what the Benedictine monks used to do. One of the things they used to be told, is for five, 1,500 years, Benedictine monks have been told to keep death top of mind. Why? Because A, we, none of us know our date of death. Secondly, if you really want to engage in life and be present in the moment and enjoy each moment that we have, which is not guaranteed, know that you might not make it to the end of the night. So here's my question. Living in a lie because it's convenient and it's, it, it, it's, um, we don't rock the boat, We're not helping anyone, least of all ourselves.
0: George, tell me some, so you've dedicated your life to this new, uh, let's call it an unretirement phase, finding identity, finding purpose. How do we do it? How do you take, I love this idea of just totally starting over, taking off the shackles, and maybe some examples of folks that you've worked with or interviewed or talked to that really did a great job of restarting new beginnings, a totally new chapter. How do we do it, man?
1: Okay. Um, first of all, I wish everybody could do it, but obviously, it's everybody has to make that personal choice. You can take a horse to water, you can't force it to drink. Um, to give examples, I mean, um, I, I've got three at the top of my mind. Um, I'm thinking of a guy uh actually, a woman by the name of Judy from Nashville, Tennessee, right? Here's a woman who was depressed for years. She was unhappy, depressed. She didn't know what to do. She was retired and it just, she was stuck. And then she did my digital course, my eight-week online digital course and transformed her life completely. In fact, on my website, I've got her testimonial. She says, I saved her life, which I, I'm not sure I go that far, but it's very nice of her to say that. But she said, I saved her life because now she's totally engaged in what she's doing. She's working towards getting herself. She was in IT and health. And um, I don't know, for six years or something, she was like drifting, going nowhere, very depressed. Everything-
0: Semi-retired? Um, I, I
1: don't know if she was semi-retired or fully retired. I think she was sort of fully retired. Yeah. Okay. But she did my course and she found herself creating a new beginning for herself. And she's now finishing um a personal trainer
0: certification. Totally different than what she used to do.
1: Yeah. And now she's gonna focus on people her age, you know, so she's serving her tribe, which is what I do, right? My clients range between 55 and 75, right? That's my purpose is, and in fact, it's on my website. It says my elevator pitch is, I help retirees find a new beginning. So she has found her new beginning. So that's Judy from Nashville, Tennessee. Then I have John Rick from uh, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. He was a fundraiser. Uh, He's 70, he's actually now, he's 80 something now, 82. Um, uh, And Five four four years ago, um, I I helped him. He was struggling because at seventy eight, he couldn't find new clients. New clients would say, would worry that he might drop on the job.
0: <laughs> right?
1: Ah, right. So too old to is, hire you. Yeah, it's too old to hire. So yeah. so we sat down and we worked out. You know, he loves what he does um, fundraising. It's his um, uh, it's his passion and um, his trouble was he couldn't find clients. So we worked around it, and he discovered that if he worked with a company, a fundraising company, if anything happened to him, there's a fallback situation. So all is not lost. And the company recruited him, and off he goes. He's now serving First of all, he says he's got more energy, enthusiasm now than he's ever had.
0: At 82.
1: At 82. He's now helping um, five schools in St. Louis in a in a poor black neighborhood that don't have money. He's almost doing pro bono, but he's waiting. Um, he's pitching it to um, very wealthy people who will then back pay him for the work he's done. Um, so he's actually kind of paying it forward and helping them to find wealthy donors who will put the um, foundation stones for endowments for these five schools in St. Louis.
0: And he says, I'll die a happy guy. The work I'm doing. Never been happier. So Judy, John. So I love this is U.S. I love this.
1: Yeah, I've got one person in the, well, got two in the UK, but I'll just share one more Um Karen. Karen was a nurse who then became a carer, and then she opened the business as a carer, hiring former nurses to do caring work and earn more money. And she reached the point in her life where she's retiring soon and she doesn't know what to do. So she did my course, and now she's created, right, um, this concept, This um, because we work on imagination, right, there's no imagination that's stupid. Throw out what it is you want. You know, what, what is it you love to do? What gives you joy? You know, working down that path. Um, what do you lose all sense of time in? And the the other question I had, which is beautiful and it gets so much, um, so much results is what are you afraid of?
0: Mm. Hold on. I understand imagination, which is a wonderful word. I love the, word, the thought around, it. I think we use, I use curiosity a lot, but I think I like the idea of imagination. You're just totally brainstorming around what you would maybe want to do at some point, And nothing's off the table, the farm in Arkansas, anything's on the table, nothing's off imagination. But what is it about? What are you afraid of that works?
1: I'll tell you what it is. Um, before we do that, can I just finish about Karen? She's now looking, um, she's, she's got herself a van, camper van, and she's going around Europe. Um, you know, visiting her dad in Spain and she's doing all the stuff that she was going to, you know, people think about doing in retirement, but never get round to it. Guess why? They have identity issues they have to deal with. And that goes on the back burner. And before you know it, they're in a nursing home and it's over. It's over. Um, so you've got to do it. So Karen's running
0: around Europe in a van. In a camper van, but wait, in a luxurious
1: camper van. But wait for (laughs) this. But her sort of dream is now to have a kind of health centre in a large field near the sea in Norfolk in the UK and have holistic pods around the centre where people um, in that sort of health and wellness can come and rent for their clients, And she's gonna have, um, you know, she's gonna make honey, she's gonna make various stuff, but she's got this wonderful thing. And, you know, she's gonna sell out. She was afraid her daughter, one of her daughters, uh, who's on her own, um, would feel bad that she's leaving her. And I go, well, might she not join you? Why is it that you, see, this is what parents do. We We do it for other people. But again, if you think big, they'll come with you. So, Here's the thing, you're turning things around. So that was Karen. But coming back to your question about fear, why is fear so important? Fear is inculcated into us as we've grown up. Don't do this, don't do that. You'll hurt yourself. Children are fearless. Puppies are fearless. They don't know. They just try new things. You know, and the topic you talked about, curiosity is a huge thing. Children always asking questions. We, we've stopped asking questions. We only make statements and declarations. We don't ask questions because if you ask questions, it means you're stupid and you don't know you've your experience. Get real. So curiosity, hugely important. But coming back to fear, and I love, I love this quote from Joseph Campbell, the American mythologist, who said, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. In other words, what you're looking for is right behind that fear. So what are you afraid of?
0: As you take people through this journey, this new beginnings whether it takes, in in your case, it maybe takes a couple of months. You say it's eight weeks, but that's a fair amount of time to put into it. But it doesn't seem like a tall order either because it is such an important restart. So you take people through for, I don't know, you said eight weeks or so, and you're constantly getting them to imagine what they could be doing, drop the fears of what they think they shouldn't be doing. And ultimately they arrive at some sort of new blueprint or new destination. That's what your purpose now is. Okay. My, 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 in a nutshell. Yeah. So my
1: purpose is if I can rephrase that is people do this eight week course, which is 90 minutes each week. This is the live one, 19 minutes each week with me. I go through a 30 minute presentation to give them the material. And the next hour is spent on the exercises. And the reason I spend that and I kick off with the exercises is because it starts to trigger things and they start asking questions and then suddenly, Oh yeah, that applies to me too. So there's a lot of banter that goes on and conversation. And each week it's the same thing until the eighth week we end up collating all these exercises into a one-page document, which I call a blueprint. Now, the blueprint is effectively saving them eight years of work. Because it took you eight years to figure this out. It took me longer. I'm just being generous. <laughs> it took me longer. It, 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 what, I'm, what I'm trying to do is fast forward from where you are now, retired, stuck, to moving into the next stage. And I was lucky. Most people who've been retired for eight, 10 years, well, I was semi-retired, so it's not quite the same, but if you're retired, this starts to go, it's over. You can't come back.
0: The plane has already landed. Yeah. And in your case, you were almost about to be landed and you really took the plane out of a nosedive.
1: I was so unhappy. I pushed myself out. And, and, and I went to learn about mindset. Um, and, I mean, the story I didn't tell you is I actually, um, I came to the point where it was so bad. I ended up doing a 30 day silent retreat in North Wales.
0: What is that?
1: That was one I've of the- I looked at
0: Wales, I, I wanna say across the, if I would be in, in near Liverpool and I look across almost a bay and I can see Wales, where was I? Yeah, you.
1: Um, I was near Snowdonia, the Mount, Mount Snowdon. Uh, which is not too far away from where you were just pitching. Um, and it was in the Cluid Valley. Beautiful. A silent retreat? Silent, 30 days silent retreat. It's um, uh, an Ignatian Jesuit retreat.
0: Sounds I the, dreadful, by the way. It,
1: it, I know it sounds dreadful. Believe me, it was one of the best investments I've made. Um, me, I'm a talker. Three days in, I was ready to shoot myself.
0: This is fascinating to me. So three, a silent treat, is it truly silent or is there some, there's some conversation? Come on. Okay.
1: First of all, no newspapers, <laughs> no TV, nothing, no.
0: No smartphones.
1: Everything is off the table. You, you have no connection to the outside world. All that white noise is taken away. So that's the first thing. Um, when you say silence, they, they give you two days to sort of settle in, right? And then it kicks off. At 5 p.m. on the third day. It's like ah. now, three days in, and I was I was sweating. I was, I mean, if I had come by car, I might have left. I might have just got in the car and said, screw this, I'm out of here. Um, yeah. but I I resisted all impulses to leave and to stay in and to gradually, you know, decompress and go into that silence which most of us avoid because we don't really want to know. Um, That's why we have a lot of social activities and stuff. We don't want to, we don't want to go in. And this journey in retirement, by the way, is a journey of the interior. It's, you know, there's a galaxy inside you. You've no idea. You haven't even touched it. We die as virgins before we've even explored ourselves. We always look to explore the universe outside us, and we don't realize there's a galaxy within us.
0: I feel like almost everything you say is is like a great quote. You almost speak in wonderful quotes. There's a galaxy within us. There's an entire galaxy within us. So three days in, you're totally silent and Keep going. Are you really not able to, there's nobody to talk to, All but there's gotta be a guide or a Sherpa or something. Of course there is. There's a
1: spiritual director. I had a wonderful woman, um, a nun who was a psychologist.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, A psychologist nun. All right. Yeah. And she was wonderful.
1: Um, I would, um, I had a meeting with her every morning at 11 o'clock for half an hour, 30 minutes in which in that 30 minutes you spend the first 15 minutes sharing what was going through your head, your mind, your heart, the previous day. And the next 15 minutes is on what you're going to be doing the next day. What you know, the current day. So, um, three days in, I remember I was gagging to speak to a nun. Can you imagine? That's how bad it was. (laughs) I was, I was, (laughs) so, um, She came in with two cups of tea, one for her, one for me. And I said, Sister Anne, it's so good to see you. (laughs) (laughs) She nearly dropped those cups of tea, but anyhow. Yeah. But uh, she was a lovely woman and um, great banter. She didn't take any prisoners. um, And it's amazing. I mean, one of the things that uh, uh, came out of that was uh, an exercise, which, by the way, I do in my course in a slightly sort of uh, lighter version um, is doing an audit on your life, which means going back to the very beginning childhood. You know, um, I chose a house, people can choose a river or whatever. I chose the homes I'd lived in throughout my life. And so I went in each home and I thought, you know, what good stuff happened here and what bad stuff happened. (laughs) And so I, and I'm a writer, so I wrote two notebooks, thick notebooks over that sort of month of all the stuff that was coming out. And I wrote it and I was able to then go back and look at, the, uh, at what i would written. And I recognized that none of the good stuff that happened in my life could have happened without the preceding bad stuff. In other words, the difficulties and challenges I had opened me up. To new things and good things that could not have opened up without the preceding. Um, so, and in the end, I ended up selecting twelve stories in my life, and I wrote a book called "Spirit of Gratitude: Crises Are Opportunities," because opportunities invariably come to us um, during a crisis. So, for example, our lives are going beautifully humming away and suddenly shit happens and that's all taken away from you right and it can happen to any of us it probably does and not just once and it forces you to go down a road you would never have gone down and so in a sense having done that i realized that even my bone tumor was a blessing in disguise and now you could have told me that when this was happening and i would have looked at you like you need some sort of an (laughs) operation. There's something wrong with you. Um, But on reflection, in hindsight, it was a blessing in disguise. I woke up.
0: So after 30 days of this mostly silent period of time, you walked away with this, really the the true belief that it is only the difficult times that led to your own prosperity and your own... Yeah. better place to be I think what it is is
1: that um, we're so focused on pursuing happiness we're so focused on uh, chasing things that we don't realize that you don't need to chase you can attract it's just the reverse mm-hmm. and it takes the stress out but it's such a difficult thing to get your head round because we've been programmed differently.
0: Tell me about that, though. Tell me your thought around attracting relative to chasing. That's interesting. Let me give you a
1: perfectly simple explanation, right? I wish I'd known this when I was 17, 18 and started dating.
0: <laughs> well, you've left your wife to move to Arkansas already.
1: So. <laughs> oh, my God. If you've projected that, God knows how many people are projecting that now. No, my God. This, is, this is not good news. So, but here's my point we're always chasing we like something we want it we chase it and what that does is it repels and makes your job even harder right so reverse it if there's a girl that you don't like chasing you <laughs> what do you do it's you know it, 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 and maybe her brother's your best friend oh my god what do you do right so you, this is what I'm saying is that if you stay within your own power, right? And you do what you like, you do what you enjoy, you attract people towards you.
0: Yeah. A new, a new beginning. You're right. It restarts that law of attraction. And when you've found an identity and a purpose, you're right. It's a it's a motivating thing. There's a lot of inertia to that to, and, and not just to you internally, but you're right to the outside, to the outside world. I wanted to, as we wrap, I don't want to keep you for hours and hours, but I just, I'm, I'm so locked into our conversation. W- what do we do about health? Do we always, it's the 50% of people list that as the number one challenge or worry, which is again, an interesting data point that I've not discussed before. I didn't realize there was such a worry around health when we're in retirement. Is there a way to put that at ease or do we just come to peace with that? What What is your prescription for that?
1: Probably both. Um, I think the thing about the word health um, really denotes, um, you have the word heal in health. It's about healing and healing isn't, about popping pills or going to see your doctor. And in retirement, we have a lot of time now to worry about health mm-hmm. because we've got so much time. What do we do? We're not worried about money. We're worried about health because our subconscious our conscious mind is open 10 hours a day. Our subconscious mind, sorry, our conscious mind is open, say 10 hours a day Our subconscious mind is working 24-7. And if it's not focused on solving problems, creating stuff, doing positive things, it will do the reverse. It will create problems. So when we have time on our hands and we're not focused, we'll start to look for problems. And so my point is, is that if you're mentally and socially engaged, You won't have to worry about your health. It's gonna look after itself. So that's the first point. The second point is that loss of identity in retirement, right, we're talking about mental health issues, emotional health issues, psychological health issues, spiritual um, health issues, and all because you don't know who you are now. But if you create a new beginning, you now have a whole new life ahead of you where, you know, you might not have the energy that you had when you were in your 40s, but guess what? You're going to have a different kind of energy, a kind of spiritual energy. You know, you're moving from knowledge to wisdom. You're moving from role to soul. It, you know, you're in a different place. And <clears throat> uh, it was Cicero, the Roman uh, philosopher and senator, who said, old age is the crown of life, our life's last act, which means the best is yet to come. But we live in a consumer society where if you, if you hit 30 or 35 in California, you're over, your life's over, it's finished.
0: <laughs> 35 in California is old.
1: <laughs> right. You know, it's over. It's not. It's just another new beginning. And you have to believe that.
0: How much fun do you have doing these courses as we, as we wrap, do you do these in, well, obviously you do them via zoom or online, but you're there for these or, or this is something, a self-study.
1: No, there, there's three. Um, I have three courses. The first one is, uh, is a one hour taster course. So people, you know, can jump in, have a look at it, feel it, look under the bonnet, see if they like it. And then they, they can move to the next a choice of the next two, one is a, a digital pre-recorded version of the eight-week course, mm-hmm. including how to do the exercises. There's all videos. It's already packaged. Um, and, and that's at $195. So nobody can say, I can't afford it. Sure. Listen, you've got another 25 years to go. Are you not worth $195? What is wrong with you?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I made it. I made it so that nobody could use that excuse. Sure. But I also have... My live, when I say live, it's live on Zoom. Sure. I don't have any lives because it's just not economic for anyone, not me or, any, or or the client. And the live ones um, are fully engaged, 90 minutes a week, sorry, 90 minutes each week for eight weeks. And that's what I, that's what I offer uh, to people. and I can only do about five, six of those. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to reach a point not too far from now. Well, I'm gonna to have to train trainers.
0: Yes, you are.
1: And my issue is that I'm happy to train the trainers, but I don't wanna run the business of the whole operation because that's not what I wanna be doing. I want, you, I'm happy to train the trainers because that's what I love doing. I've, for me,
0: that's not work. Are they one-on-one or do you have multiple no, 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 people no. within? one-on-one doesn't work, no. Um, so you've I mean, got I've a had few had people ranges. at one time, right? I've, I have had
1: one-to-ones because that's how I started. Sure, You can only only start one-to-ones, but they're not economic.
0: Um, So now you have a, you can have 20 people and you're live.
1: I, 20 people, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to ramp up to maybe 200, Mm. um, which won't be as Mm. deep as if you do it with 10 people. Sure. But it's still going to be way, way better than not having done this at all.
0: All right, this is amazing. This is so much fun. I know we didn't really talk a whole lot about money, but I, but the reality here is that if we are doing this next act, new beginning, a complete restart, and you call this a couple different things, but again, new beginnings really is, uh, I think it really embodies it, discovering your purpose. It also typically will take care of so many other worries. A, when you talk about health if we're really engaged in something else, we're less worried. We're also probably attracting some sort of financial benefit as well to your point. Ultimately.
1: Yes. It'll take time like everything else, but here's the thing with, with retirees and our boomer generation, a lot of whom have started new businesses. They're also more more likely to succeed because they've got experience.
0: They're more likely to succeed.
1: Yeah. They're more likely to succeed because they've got experience. They they've, they know how to recover from failure. They know that failure is, uh, uh, you know, kind of the building blocks to success. Um, I've had to fail many times to get to to where I am. You know, this didn't happen overnight. And the thing is, is that it does cover everything else. And this is kind of, you know, you're moving from faster horses to the motor car. That's what, that's what you're doing. It's a quantum
0: leap, right? That you didn't know you weren't asking the right question to begin with. Yeah, but you can only start with the wrong questions
1: and then you slowly find out the right questions and you don't know what you don't know.
0: If I asked people what they want, they would have said faster horses. Right. Little did and they know they wanted- That's question wanted
1: to in the retirement. Horse. If you'd ask people what they want in retirement, what did they tell you? Health, money, purpose. But it's not just that. It's um, There's that underlying- um problem which is identity and that is int- intricately linked to purpose and as you say if you find a new beginning for yourself no more health worries well I shouldn't say that because everybody has some health worries they diminish they they and because they go out of mind out of sight out of mind they're no longer priority our mind Right, can't differentiate between reality and fantasy, and by that I mean our subconscious mind cannot, and that's why the adage "fake it till you make it" works. I hate that adage, but it actually works.
0: <laughs> it actually, because
1: works. the mind can be fooled, right, into thinking, and we're kind of fool. we It's not so much that we're fooling our minds because. If we think the reality of where we are in retirement being stuck is reality, well, that's the reality you want. That's the reality you get. When we come to the other bit, the the E of there is about expansion, right? You look at a mountain and all you see is a mountain. Move 100 yards to the right and you can see behind the mountain there's a village. Hey, I did not know that. New opportunity. Change the way you look at something and what you look at changes.
0: We're gonna leave it on that note. George, Jurgen, thank you, my friend. God bless you. Thank you for being here and uh, let's stay in touch. Thank you, Wes. Been a terrific interview, thoroughly enjoyed it.
2: information.